everyone, welcome to the inaugural episode of Outside of a Dog. Um, I am your co-host, Sharon Herbiter, and I'm here with my good friend, Brandon Bowman, and we're here to talk about books. You may wonder why we have a podcast with the name of Outside of a Dog when we're going to be talking about books, but this is a reference to a quote that's often credited to Groucho Marx, although there's some debate about that. But let's give it to Groucho right now. And he allegedly said, outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. So um, it, it struck both of us as funny. And so right now, that's the name of this podcast. I was originally real concerned about it because I was thinking that people would be tuning in, trying to find a way that they would uh, groom a schnauzer or something like that. Yes. Yeah, so th- there's always that. If you are here for the dogs, you may want to find another podcast. No, 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 no. See, that's what I'm saying is <laughs> that they can come for the dogs, but stay for the books. I there think would go. be a, a wonderful, what do they call that? Bait and switch. Bait and switch. Yes. That's, that's, that's good for us to be known as the bait and switch podcast. Am I bait or am I switch? Uh, yes. The peanut gallery there is my co-host, Brandon Bowman. Brandon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I have the dubious distinction of being Sharon's pastor oh, yes. as well as her friend. So um, I'll be here to uh, to gently rebuke her should she go down any paths that she shouldn't. But I'm a native Montgomeryan. We've come back home just recently. Uh, it's spent- Alabama, not Montgomery. Virginia, Maryland, or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, right here in Alabama, uh, now living in Millbrook, Alabama, where I'm pastor at Millbrook Presbyterian. I'm a uh, uh, an Air Force chaplain. I am a father. I'm a husband. Uh, but what really brings me to uh, to doing this is uh, have had a lifelong love of reading. I was the son of a librarian and another school teacher. My mom and dad, and and my mom uh, really insisted on us being read to and and reading early on. My earliest recollection was taking a well-worn book uh, about Dick Tracy and his uh, cohorts to my mom uh, for her to read about Dick Tracy and his uh, two-way wrist radio and all of his colleagues solving crimes. And my mom read it over and over and over again, which I guess lends credence to the old saying that there's no reading, only rereading, right? So I've heard that. I sat on a, my mama's lap and, and was read to and and followed suit. I can remember growing up, we'd spend our time on Lake Martin here in Alabama, and I would always have a, a good book with me uh, to sit and to, uh, to fritter away the afternoon hours. I, I remember those days, well, not in your life, but in my life, when um, having a book in my hand meant just heaven, basically. And, you know, now I, I just finished, we'll, we'll talk about what we're reading or have just finished reading in a minute, but I, I just finished reading The Brothers Karamazov, which is almost 800 pages. And there were many times when that was a burden, uh, just holding the book. You know, I, I, it used to be I could I could lay in bed, I could lay on the ground, I could do anything with any book, and it was not an issue. And now I'm reading and I'm thinking, this book is so heavy. So, so you um, actually read a, 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 yes, a, a paper book. Yes, unfortunately, I already owned it. I, I prefer Kindle books for novels. I can't, yeah, e-books for novels because I like to read in bed and that way it's, I don't have to mess with a book light and I have a book light. It's not bright enough. And you know, but I already owned that book. So when I decided to start to read it, I couldn't justify buying an e-copy. So yes. Have you I, ever thought about maybe that's why you stay up to all hours of the night is all that blue light coming off your yes, Kindle. Yes. And I, I, that is um, that the actual paper pages are soothing and, uh, yeah. That's that's what I, I try to do in my reading. I prefer paper books. 
um, especially if it's something I'm reading before going to sleep at night to try to get off the screens, get on to no, uh, you're to right, pages. you're right. I I need to, I should do that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep reading. I, I, I last night after I finished Brothers Karamazov, I started my next book, which I which I was rejoicing because I have it on Kindle. So now was it last night or was it this morning? No, oh, it was this morning. Oh, okay, there we go. Let me introduce myself a little bit. Um, I am uh, a member of Milbert Presbyterian Church, so that would make Brandon my pastor. Um, I also like to refer to him as the little brother I'm glad I never had, um, not showing him the respect that a congregant should show her pastor, but there you go. It's met with love, so I figure I can get away with it. Um, I also grew up, I grew up in the South, but not Alabama. I grew up in Florida. Which, which is now, not the South. Exactly. I, that used to make me so mad when I lived in Florida and people would say that. But now that I live in Alabama, I would say that also. Um, Florida is not the South, at least the, I'm from the Tampa Bay area. That is not the South. There are parts of Florida that are the South. Climate wise, it certainly would be. Yes, yes, that's true. So um, I right now, I my background is in business, um, accounting and things like that. Right now, I'm the overqualified bookkeeper at the local pregnancy center where I am um, very blessed to be able to work. And but reading is really um, if I if there could be a vocation, if I, well, I do I do I do do some editing, but I would I would be six figures if you could make money just sitting around reading. But sadly, most people can't do that. So well, and you tend to take reading as a, kind of an annual challenge. Last year, you I read did. how many books? Well, I was twenty seventeen. I did Tim Challies. If any of you are it, like ch- reading challenges, which I I do, and I'm not sure it's a good thing, but um, I I. Tim Challies does a reading challenge every year um, where you can read one book a month, two, um, a book every two, two weeks. Um, I, I don't remember all the progressions, but I read two books a week. So that was 104 books. And, and I actually finished with a few days to spare. But of course, there, there were um, a couple of long books, but the vast majority of the books I read were I, 200 pages was my sweet spot and um so that's something i wouldn't want to do every year because then i there's so many books that you can't read and how many books was that it was 104 104 books so each book was basically a sprint right right and and it, it isn't i'm glad i did it but it because there were some some benefits to it but it's not something i could do I, that i want to do again and as you said not all 104 were of the magnitude of dovsieski right exactly exactly well, and that's what you said. You just finished reading. I feel kind of like a lightweight showing up here today to, to deal with this because I just I got finished reading. It's a little bit beyond your sweet spot. There is about 270 pages, uh, but it was a book called The uh, the Furious Hours. Uh, the subcaption to that was The Furious Hours, Murder, Fraud, and the Last Trial of Harper Lee. It was written by a, a young lady. I have not been able to find out how old she is, but all the interviews and all, she looks quite young. Um, Harvard grad, Rhodes Scholar who went to Oxford, a young lady by the name of Tracy Sepp, C-E-P. And you, you, you should tell us a little bit about why, about your familiarity with Harper Lee. All right, wonderful. Well, for those of you who are not familiar with Alabama and what is known as the literary capital of Alabama, somebody asked me what that meant one day and asked if that meant that there were two books in the library and neither one of them were colored in. I was going to say, that's that's really a good straight line. If I didn't live in Alabama, I could come up with something. Well, but. that's it. But, but Monroeville, Alabama, is about an hour and a half south of here. I was actually pastor there for six years. Uh, Monroeville is uh, better known to the literary community as Macomb County. Um, and her most famous citizen there was a young lady who grew up there known as Nell. Well, Nell, spelled N-E-L-L-E, uh, as she got older, realized that people 
were constantly mispronouncing her name and calling her Nellie, which was not. As a matter of fact, her family called her Dodie. But Nell uh, decided to go by her middle name, which is Harper. So Harper Lee uh, wrote the story of her childhood community, Monroeville, which in the novel was Makem and became the story To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, so as I lived there, uh, Miss Nell was was still uh, alive there, would bump into her coming in and out of the, uh, oh, the Monroe County I Bank. I didn't know that. Her sister, Miss Alice, her oldest sister, uh, Alice, was uh, an attorney at uh, Bell, Bug and Lee. Yeah, um, that's, that's neat. And Miss Lee, uh, they that firm closed, did the closing on our house when we moved to Monroeville. Um, and matter of fact, uh, you know, Miss, Miss Nell died a couple of years ago and actually uh, was able to speak to her Um probably within a month or so of her passing away. A good, good friend of ours was in the same assisted living facility there, and we were down visiting, and and my, my good friend Theda uh, was kind of helping take care of Miss Nell there as these two residents were, were good friends, and she actually used to be Miss Alice's secretary. So all of this kind of plays into this little small town of about 7,000 in South Alabama. Well, we all know the story of Miss Nell, that, that she uh, wrote To Kill a Mockingbird, and as she wrote that in 1960, uh, it won the Pulitzer Prize, but where do you go from there? Right. And there's been rumors, you know, throughout the course of her life that she had written other things, or oh, that she didn't write the book. Truman Capote wrote the book, right? Or... Right. Well, she and she and Truman Capote, another uh, young man who spent his his a lot of his childhood in Monroeville, Alabama, and they were were lifelong friends and led interestingly different lives. Yes. Uh, Truman uh, certainly, uh, you know, touring the world in the lap of luxury, and Miss Nell was a much simpler, even though she lived part of her year in Manhattan, part in Monroeville, Alabama, but a much simpler, more private. People often accuse her of being a recluse, but she really wasn't. She was just private. And uh, so, of course, she, great... she was only a recluse because nobody wanted to go to Monroeville. So they, they felt it like she bit, was hiding it, away. And... It is a bit off the beaten path. Yeah, you head down uh, Interstate 65 and then you have to have head west for about 30, uh, 30 minutes on a, on a smaller highway to get there. But a beautiful community. And the, the old courthouse uh, that was the model for the, the Hollywood courthouse where Gregory Peck does right, his Academy right. Award winning performance is all right there still. A beautiful place to visit. Wonderful history there. And you can learn a whole lot more about the whole Mockingbird uh, story. Well, a couple of years ago, um, back in 2015, uh, Go Set a Watchman came out. Right. And that was, uh, it was kind of misrepresented by the publisher as being a sequel. It was actually uh, a previous work of Miss Lee's. Uh, she had written it, tried to get it published, and the publisher said, well, this isn't the story. You need to tell the story of this young girl, Scout, as she was a young girl. And we have all fallen in love with the story of To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, I, I think that it was just recently voted, PBS did a big Great American Novel series, and To Kill a Mockingbird was voted the most beloved novel in America favorite novel in America, something like that. It won, it, whatever it was, it won. So well, even more than that, Oprah says it's the best novel uh, ever. Well, so, you know, at that yes, point. Exactly. Yes. So, um, there was this, uh, this, um, researcher, Katie Sepp, who decided that she wanted to find out more about this because there was controversy in the book coming out and full disclosure, um, Miss Lee's, uh, attorney, uh, Tanya, Carter uh, is somebody I've worked with. I actually still travel down to Monroeville in the spring times where they give me the privilege of uh, at the local production of To Kill a Mockingbird, I actually get to be Atticus Finch um, nine or ten times. Well, we are always mistaking you for Gregory Peck. So, you know, that is one of the hardest things in the world is I I've, I've seen Gregory Peck. I've read about Gregory Peck <laughs> and I've come to realize I am no Gregory Peck, <laughs> but I really do enjoy getting to be Atticus Finch. 
perfect people don't exist anywhere except, as I believe, in, in the person of Jesus in the Bible, but then in literature, we can create a perfect person. And Atticus, particularly in Mockingbird, really is that right, type of right. character. So Miss Seth went down there to find out more about the whole Watchman story. But while she was there, she learned about um, this period of time in Miss Nell's life. We're talking about late 70s, where she went and spent extraordinary amounts of time in a courtroom up in, um, in Alexander City, Alabama. Alexander City is just to the east of us, a little north of us here, um, where we are now in, in Millbrook, Alabama, on this beautiful, beautiful Lake Martin. And come to find out, the... Uh, the reason Miss Nell was there was she was doing research to write a new book and spent all kind of time uh, working and researching uh, about uh, a, a courtroom unfolding much different than the whole Mockingbird courtroom uh, encounter. Basically, the story of Furious Hours, the book, this book is uh, by Miss Sepp, is, is structured in three parts. It begins by talking about and introducing us to really uh, one of the three main characters involved in this whole thing, and that is the Reverend Willie Maxwell. Uh, he was an African-American man living in early 20th century Alabama. Um, bottom line, what happens is it is uh, alleged that the, the Reverend, as they call him, and that was supposedly the title that Miss Lee was going to call this book, The Reverend. The Reverend uh, learned about how the uh, the very young life insurance business that was across the United States uh, was very susceptible to fraud and exploitation. I mean, I think you and I are both old enough, full disclosure, Sharon's a little bit older, we're both old enough to remember going into airports and you used to could buy life insurance right, right. in vending machines right. at airports. Well, you could also buy life insurance policies by filling out a matchbook cover and sending 50 cents in. And so what happened was, allegedly, the reverend uh, took out life insurance policies on a number of people, including all three of his wives, um, his brother, and others. And then they died under extraordinarily uh, suspicious circumstances. Basically, uh, during his life, his first wife, Mary Lou, um, his next-door neighbor, who was the deceased husband of his second wife, uh, Abram Anderson, um, his brother, uh, John Columbus Maxwell, as well as his nephew, James Hicks, and his third wife's adopted daughter, uh, Shirley Ann Ellington. All these people had huge insurance policies taken out, huge for the time, right. taken out against them. And then they died, uh, two of them in car accidents, uh, one of them by uh, overdrinking and exposure and some things that really led people to say, well, maybe the reverend has something to do with this because he was beneficiary in all these policies. Right. <laughs> On top of that, see, he was very popular, very winsome, very good looking, very dashing. Uh, everyone talked about how eloquent he was and he would, would preach throughout the area. Well, then people began to get real suspicious. And then kind of given the time and given the area he was in, it even became uh, alleged that he uh, was uh, heavy into voodoo. And that he had uh, all these charms against justice, all these charms against um, love to get these ladies to continue to fall in love with him, marry him, and then they die. Um, so each time he was represented um, by uh, an attorney, and that's the second part of the book. The first part is called The Reverend. The second part of the book is called The Lawyer. And, and the lawyer uh, who represented uh, him, they uh, just referred to him as Big Tom, Tom Radney. Tom Radney was... Uh, because uh, he's he is he he's been brought up on murder 
charges? Right. That, he has okay. a, a couple of times. A couple of times he was not indicted. A couple of times he was. But Radney was was called in to defend him. Um, and also then to go after the insurance companies who were refusing to pay, refusing to pay on the claims. Oh. So so Radney's brought into all of this. Well, it was at the last funeral of the last victim of all of this um, that the uncle of uh, Shirley Ann, who died, it was came and shot Maxwell dead, the, the Reverend dead. Oh, gosh. And then Tom Radney, Big Tom, was hired by this man to represent him. So the man who represented the dead reverend now is being represented by the man who in front of, uh, you know, dozens and dozens of witnesses shot him dead. Right. Now I tell this story and it sounds like the excellent plot to a great murder mystery, wonderful story that John Grisham or somebody might spin. But this is, this is all documented newspaper <laughs> article founded fact and Harper was up, Miss Nell was up researching all of this. So the second part of the book is about the lawyer. Uh, this is a, a Southern lawyer, uh, a la Atticus Finch, that um, had run for public office. This was at the time now, you're getting at the time of Wallace and all the turmoil here in the state. And Radney was of a much different cloth. He was a, a, a Southern liberal. And, and by that, he was uh, heavy into uh, defending people on issues of civil rights and voting and all of these other issues. So he gets asked to defend now. By the way, the uncle, of course, this is an African-American man having killed an African-American man. And uh, he is a white lawyer defending now this man Burns against uh, the prosecution in front of an all-white, all-male jury. Bottom line, his uh, defense was temporary insanity. Okay. Basi basically saying he killed him. He killed him. Right. We watched him kill him. Everybody knows he killed him. But the reason was uh, he believed that all this, this voodoo talk, he believed that there's no way of stopping him. He was just temporarily insane. And the jury came back and, and agreed with him. So huh. then uh, Burns was exonerated. He had to go and do a brief stay at Bryce up in Tuscaloosa, uh, the, uh, uh, the mental health care facility up there, and then was released to come home. So then the third part of the book is then Ms. Sepp's discussion about how Miss Nell Harper Lee pretty much moved for a period of time to Alexander City to research all of this and interview all the people involved. And it became this, this book that just, it just would not be written. Now, there's rumors since then that uh, Miss Nell actually did write the book and it just hadn't seen the light of day. So it could be that in going through the estate, as they continue to do, they're going to find a manuscript that may get published. But Miss Sepp, what she did, and I think did a very good job of was was capturing some wonderful history about the state of Alabama, talking about she gives us a brief essay on the insurance, uh, the history of the insurance business, about the establishment of this big man-made lake, Lake Martin. It's some wonderful background to paint this picture. And then she gives what I think is one of the best summaries, brief summaries of the life of, of Ms. Nell and and talking about how she uh, was, was striving to write this novel. And it just never got written. And there was indication there is supposedly in existence four paragraphs that she sent, Miss Nell sent to the Radney family to um, uh, to review and was an indication that she was going to, instead of calling the attorney, uh, Tom Radney was going to be a fellow by the name of Jonathan Larkin. So there's some indication that it was going to be a bit of a fictionalized account, right. kind of like a Truman Capote's in cold blood. Right, right. But it just would not be written. But then Miss Sepp, uh, and I've heard interviews with her. She uh, indicated that it was this really a spirit of trepidation with which she looked. And she said, am I really going to write the book that Miss 
Nell Harper lead right. couldn't. I can imagine. But I found it to be very well written. How, how did you how did you come across this book? Well, interestingly enough, I was actually in Monroeville, uh, Maycomb, uh, the home of Miss Nell Harper Lee. I was actually uh, downstairs uh, at a, a brief respite during a production of To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, yes. So there I was standing in my white linen three-piece Attica suit and, and saw this picture. It's actually here in my lap, and it's an autographed copy uh, from Miss Sepp. Uh, that uh, I picked up. Um, my wife grabbed hold of it first and, right. and read it, talking and I kept kept trying to reclaim it. And when I finally did, I was certainly glad. Oh yeah, yeah. That's so, so it's a remarkable book, and it, it tells all. It, it gives wonderful history about the the racial tensions here in the state of Alabama. It goes into some of the Southern politics, like I said, of George Wallace and and others at the time, and of course when he could no longer be uh, governor, and Miss Lurleen would then become the next governor, basically with him making all of her speeches for her and all this sort of thing. It's it's a fascinating uh, take from Miss Sepp, who was from Maryland, Harvard educated, Oxford educated, uh, but coming, she came and lived in the South for a period to uh, to research all this. And I think she does do a fair job of, of presenting the issues of the time, the complexities of the racial issues, of the societal issues, and then of this crazy, complicated, but real world murder case. That, that I I'll add that to my list. My li- I added about eight books last night to my to be read list. So I, unless I live to be two hundred, although I do believe we will read in heaven. So maybe I'll catch some of these books up there. But do you like to read more than I know? I know that in in I don't like to read more than one book at a time. But I. I am involved with, I mean, there are Bible studies here at church where I need to read a book for that. There's another class at work that I'm at work at church that you have a that you're teaching. And there are three books and the Westminster Confession are a part of that class. So and, I, and so I, we, I gave you a schedule that required you to read all those concurrently. Right, right. And well, I, re- I sat down, I think it was yesterday. Everybody keeps telling me that I need to watch Downton Abbey. And I, I was... I sat down yesterday and figured out that I am currently actively reading 10 things right now. I, I just don't have time for for TV I, or movies or any of that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. It's just we have 24 hours in a day and we allot it as we as we prefer. And um, I prefer to read than, than watch TV. And so. some of us mere mortals do have to sleep at yeah. least eight hours. I don't know I, that you no, get I do. eight I, minutes. Yeah, well, I do. Um, so do you, but so other than those books that, and, and it's different when you're assigned, you know, you have to read one chapter a week or two chapters a week, at least you do that. And you're, and you know, you're done with that book for right now and you can go to something else. But as far as like novels and things like that, I really don't like reading more than one at a time. I don't, I think that I get so involved in the novel that it's just, it's just too hard for me to switch gears that way. But do you like to read more than one thing I at a time? I have a problem with uh, a lack of delayed gratification and that I'll be reading something and then I'll see another book that just captures my uh, imagination no, I hate and, it and, I'm, and I'll just, I'll go ahead and crack it. Yeah. And so then I'll find myself, I'm on chapter one of a book, but then I'm on chapter <laughs> 25 of another book. And what happens is sometimes the, the newness of a new novel, uh, I, uh, I realized six months later that I haven't finished. Right, right. And I'll give you a case in point. There's a wonderful uh, biography of Walt Disney that I am so close to finishing. Oh, right. I remember when you started that. Right. I still haven't finished it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but other things jump in, in line. And right. I need to I need to get more disciplined about I, that. I am pretty good about I mean, I 
I'm not perfect at that, but I'm pretty good oh, about that. Yeah, perfect. I know. It's shocking. But um, our heroes fall. I yes, but right. I just finished last night. I I I mentioned before that I like to do reading. I every year I like to say this is my challenge for this year when it, when it comes to reading, and I have a friend um, named David who is very very well read. He's the most well read person I've ever met, and we'll be we talk about books all the time. And he'll bring up a title, and I'll say, oh, I've never read that, and he will feign surprised and stupefaction he'll he'll say Sharon Louise I can't believe I'm talking to someone who hasn't read whatever it is so for 2019 I didn't really have in mind a reading challenge and so I said to him David this is your opportunity I'll read any 20 books that you assign me with I have veto power but I haven't everything he's told me I'm going to read is is fine I will want to read it anyway I like that he rebukes you by calling you Sharon Louise yes you know again to to pull all these dots together scout finch whenever she got in trouble uh her then the neighbors who would chase after her or atticus would call her miss jean louise right, right. So, so yeah but i another thread in to kill a mockingbird my maiden name is yule who ah, is the bad Mayella and bob yule who is absolutely. the bad guy he's mm-hmm. the bad guy in to kill a mockingbird so we're, we got good we got bad but anyway um so he's the one that said you need to read uh, a little more Dostoevsky. Right, right. I, I've read I read Crime and Punishment, which is Dostoevsky. I mean, Dostoevsky has a few you know, notes from underground. And I mean, he has a few books that he's really well known for that are well known. He's he's well known, period. But um, I guess it's too great. It, the Brothers Karamazov is considered by most people his masterpiece. And I had read Crime and Punishment two years ago. And or well, and recently. And um Crime and Punishment, I liked very much. It's very, very bleak, although it ends up, um, it ends on a happy note. But so I, anyway, David assigned me uh, Brothers Karamazov and I finished it this morning or the last night, last depending night on morning. how, depending on your perspective. And I'm not going to talk about the plot. I mean, it's an 800 page book, so it, it, um, it wanders, but uh, I do about two thirds of the way through, I, I had read that um, both Laura Bush and Michelle Obama um, claim it as their favorite novel. Oh, really? And I don't know if that's true, but I read that. And I thought about two thirds of the way through, it's so bleak. Well, I'll tell you a very little bit about the plot. The The, the father of these three brothers, the brothers Karamazov, um, is not a likable man, to put it mildly. He's 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 just not a likable man and um he gets killed in the book and the eldest son is charged with his dimitri the, the three brothers are dimitri ivan or, or, or ivan i don't know how you pronounce it and alyosha and um he the, the eldest brother is accused of killing their father and so it's a it's a bleak book i mean it's he he's accused of killing his father because um both he and his father are in love with the same woman so it's, you know, there's all these twists and turns and it's very dark and it's, it's just not a, it's not a pleasant, you know, beach read at all. And um, so I thought, how could that be anybody's favorite? I mean, I, I can understand reading it, admiring it, recognizing its genius, all of that, but your favorite novel, that just, that just seems like, you know, saying broccoli is your favorite food. I mean, it's just, I don't, uh, not so sure, but I finished it last night and two things really surprised me. First, the first thing was, I got all teary eyed, which I really didn't, there was nothing in the last 60 pages that was as well. 
there's very little in the last 60 pages that was surprising. And yet I still was emotionally affected. And the other thing was, I think I love the book. So I was going to say, I've, I've been struck. I mean, I read a biography of uh, Mr. Rogers recently and, and found myself crying at the end of that. Right. And you I mean, know, so, he dies, you know, he dies. Absolutely. <laughs> right. But I think it has to do with something we've talked about that, uh, that you really do develop a relationship with right, that book. Right. And as it comes to a close, it's like kind of saying goodbye. Right. So that that's kind of naturally a part of us. And if there's anything emotional in the text, right. it's just heightened. Yeah. So it, it was a, um, I'm, I'm very glad to have read it. It more than almost it, with, except for the Bible, which, you know, goes without saying, it really demands a rereading this book. And I just don't know if I'm going to be able to do it. Mm. There, there are part, it grapples with the big questions, free will, God, morality, uh, truth. I mean, it's a, it's not, like I said, it's not a light beach read at all, but um, it's beautiful. It, even, th even in the darkness. And it's also brilliant. I mean, you know, he, he, he Dostoevsky, he wrote it over about a two-year period, although there are, is some evidence that it, um, he actually started kicking around ideas for it in, in different drafts much earlier than that. And it was serialized over a two-year period, 1878 and 1879. And while he was writing it, his four-year-old son, Alyosha, died from epilepsy. And so Alyosha in The Brothers Karamazov is the hero of the book. Um, he's... He when the book opens, he's a novice monk. Um, although at the end of the book, I don't think he's a monk anymore. It's really, and I, I really wasn't. I mean, he's told his elder tells him to go out of the monastery and go into the world, and I and it, it appears that he has done that. Although things, it's it's not a very long period of time in this book, and so you're, I'm not really sure. It's not really clear to me anyway. That, so he, that, he he finishes this book roughly two years before he died. Four months. Well, it was published four months. It was serialized in 1878 and 1879, and after that, he died four months later. So, yeah, eighty-one. So, um, he, yeah, it was a. I'm not sure, but it must have been. It was well, no, maybe seventy-nine, eighty, eighty. I'll bet. Yeah, well, anyway. I had his dates of 1821 to 1881. Okay, all right. Mm -hmm. And so, anyway, it was a. Uh, um, it's a. Uh, so the son was. I mean, it shares a name with his son, and interestingly yeah. enough, the uh, the vulgar father shares his name with the author it was Fyodor. uh Fyodor. Yeah. yeah yeah i didn't I, you know what i didn't even think about that because you know how these russian novels are the names are oh my, yes uh, and and in you know the the youngest son Alyosha, is called he's called like about eight things in the novel and so it's um i won't even i can't even try to pronounce a lot of them but so yeah it's so it never so Fyodor. Karamazov is not usually referred to that way. So that's why I, did, I didn't even make that connection, which is kind of sad that I didn't realize that. But there you go. That's why I'm here, just yeah. to, to augment the that. slide imperfections. Yes, yes. So what are you reading now? What are you... Um, well, I just actually... When did you finish the the Harper Lee book? About a, about a couple of days ago. Oh, okay. And um, I'm actually doing some, some reading and... Um, a, uh, the writings of a pastor, uh, Richard Baxter. Uh, oh, yeah. Richard Baxter was a, uh, a pastor in Kidminster over in England. And he um, just, uh, his most famous work is called The Reformed Pastor. And it doesn't have to do with us being like in a reformed faith. It was that the pastorate needed to be reformed, um, not in theology, but in practice. And it's, it's, a, it's a very um, uh, impactful book for pastors to read. Uh, one one author said only the Apostle Paul could read this and 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 have any hopes of of 
walking away from it without just being completely disheartened in their pastoral ministry. So Richard Baxter, he he wrote prolifically, but also was an incredible pastor. So um, doing some some reading on that, looking particularly at his pastoral leadership and his uh, his his practices. Uh, to I how, think I how read do do something by him, not that that you just named, but. Uh, the Saints' my, everlasting rest was another one of his. Um, maybe I'm just making it up. It's always possible. But anyway, yeah. So um, is that and, a long? It's not oh, a long book. Oh, well, his book. Uh, his he's got a four volume set called the Christian oh, 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 Directory, oh. which is just a collection of his works. So it's one of those things that I can read through and stop and read through right. and stop. And having also you know made confession here in our. Uh, podcast confessional here. I, I do need to go back so you can ask me next time if I ever finished the Walt Disney biography. Right. right. Well, I just started um, last night after I finished Karamazov. I started Theater by um, W. Somerset Mom. That's one of the books that da- David went through this um, Mom jag a few years ago and read everything that Mom has ever written. And um, I've read a couple. I did not like his, Mom's big book is of human bondage that's right. the one most people have heard of didn't like it didn't believe it didn't i i'm not a fan i have read a couple of other things and um i mom isn't my favorite author but it, you know he's fine and um i'm so i'm reading theater right now which i believe was made into a movie starring annette benning um not maybe 10 years ago I, i'm not sure exactly but anyway I've, I've only read one chapter and it's it's not a long book and it's not 19 chapters so, or 29 chapters so it's like 10 pages long so i've very very you know just dipped my toe in but i'm enjoy- i i think i'm gonna like it so that's, well that's good and you know that's kind of what led us to uh, to doing a, a podcast like this because that tends to be a question that we ask in conversation to each other so what are you reading right and right. and that's one of the things i'm always encouraging like i said with my role in the air force working with young chaplains uh encouraging them not not only to uh to seek out those people who would be mentors but then to mentor others and one of the great questions that i would uh place in their hands to utilize in those conversations is, what are you reading? And to find out what people that you respect are reading, which is, I'm sure, why you ask me that. Absolutely. There we go. And uh, But also to uh, to encourage maybe those younger folks, what are you reading? And then maybe to make suggestions. I've got a dear friend who's uh, fixing to retire as a general, and that's the first question I always ask him is, what are you reading? Now, he might say something like, well, I just picked up the most captivating book on advanced calculus. Right. And I said, well, thank you very much for your time and walk away. <laughs> but he'll talk about a novel or a biography. Uh, he was recently reading a, a wonderful biography on the, on the Romanovs and is talking about all that was going on uh, in, in that era, which I, I make note of and put it on my list and, right. and hopefully get around to. Because I think we get an insight into how other people think by what's shaping their thinking. Right. What are they reading? I, I, re- I posted something, a quote on face- Facebook just a week or so ago about – um, reading pastors and I, I mean pastor pastors who read and I the quote indicated its importance that that you know a pastor who doesn't read is not a pastor who I mean I I, I, I guess it's you can't I, I shouldn't make blanket statements but I have been blessed and am currently blessed by having reading pastors and I think um, to me I, one of my sayings, it took me 60 years to learn this, but one of my sayings is people want to know things, but they don't want to learn. Hmm. And, you know, reading is um, an effort and it's, you know, it is so much easier. And I'm not, I'm not 
I'm not knocking television or movies or anything like that, but they are easier than books. And, Absolutely. And, and what you're doing is you're just accepting wholesale somebody else's interpretation right. of, of a narrative. And, you know, if you if you if you want to keep growing as a person and keep growing in, I mean, Christians and Jews are known as people of the book. And there's a reason for that. And if you want to keep growing in knowledge you know, the, the reading is a fundamental part of that. And so well, it is. And I think it exercises our mind in so many ways. Um, I, 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 in reading this book, one of the things that appealed to me is it does make reference to places where I have been. Right. You right. know, Lake Martin, Alexander City, uh, Coosa County, Tallapoosa County here in Elmore County, things like that. And I can Im- immediately picture the surroundings. But then in the same way, you read uh, stories of, of places that I have never been. Right. And then you read something like Tolkien of places that that have never been. Right, right. And so your mind can can construct uh, these scenes. Right. And I, I think have, it's such I an have, incredible exercise. I have a pair of shoes um, it, from a company called Groove Bags that makes shoes that have everything on them you can imagine. And these this has got books all over it. And it says, I have lived a thousand lives. So but, but what you are going on record here, for those of you who are listening to this outside the state of Alabama, is that <laughs> People in Alabama do wear shoes. Yes, we do wear shoes. Okay. Oh, you're good. <laughs> so, well, we have gone over time because that's just the way we are. So we should probably wrap wrap this up. And um, next week, maybe you'll report a little bit more on Richard Baxter and I might report a little or whatever you want. And I will certainly report on theater by mom. And we are, we have also, um, Brandon and I are, um, starting a reading group where we want to get together with people and read classics. And our first book, appropriately enough, is going to be To Kill a Mockingbird. And I have not read it for years, so I need to um, read that again, too. Absolutely. And again, you know, that's one of those things we can let uh, somebody like a, a, an Academy Award-winning performance like Gregory Peck interpret it for us, or we can go back and read the Pulitzer right. Prize-winning novel. But I've never seen the movie. You've never seen it? We yeah. need to do that, too, because it <laughs> it is it is extraordinarily well done. Um, the only thing I saw, I've seen the scene where, does he shoot the dog? Does he? He does. Old Jim yeah. is rabid, so I, he has to put him down. I, I've seen that. for. I don't remember the context, but when my son was in, um, what is it before Cub Scouts? No Cub Scouts is that? No, but they're they're like your very first year. It doesn't matter. The one of the moms was doing some some training with the boys and showed them that scene. I don't know why it sounds terrible now, but she was a nice person, so I don't think she was trying to traumatize them or anything. But anyway, so I've seen that scene. That's the only scene I think thing I've seen of the movie is that tragic. That's one of the the lines that I use when I talk to people about actually performing in Harper Lee's hometown. Tiger Cubs. Um, that's what I was trying to think of. Actually, uh, performing Atticus Finch there. And said, you know, the tragic thing about it is uh, for the number of performances, which I haven't counted, um, I have 100 uh, percent fatality <laughs> in shooting the dog and 100 percent failure as being an attorney. Yeah, you know, well, so I've lost true. every case, but I've killed every I mean, dog. You better you better stick to shooting Bambi and being a pastor. Well, I, it's been a, a pleasure to uh, to do this, to hopefully people will enjoy this as much as we enjoy doing it. And we're going to try and do this weekly. We are. And I, just another occasion to spend time with the big sister I never wanted. And the little brother I'm glad I never had. Well, all right. Well, we'll sign off here and we look forward to talking to you all next time on Outside of a Dog. Outside of a Dog. <laughs>